It's Robert Gowan sitting here at Mentors Military at 15 Perry Street and appreciate these guys. Uh, if you like the show and the content, make sure you go out to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Mentors, the number four M-I-L to help us out. You can become a donor there in uh, whatever range that you want to do or pick your own and we'd appreciate all the support. Sitting here with my sidekick, Paul Martinez. How are you doing, Paul? Hey, doing good, Rob. Glad to be back. Um, so we have a guest who's actually my neighbor, and uh, we thought it'd be really cool. We actually sat down, what was it, Don, about a month and a half, two months ago, and dreamed this whole thing up and trying to get the whole thing arranged. So appreciate you coming on the show, Don. Thanks for having me. We want to get into, though, the humble beginnings. I know you're a Georgia boy. Yes. So... When you were growing up, did you play sports, football, or something like that? I did. Um, I played football. Yeah. Um, yeah, I grew up playing football. Uh, I grew up in Jonesboro, which isn't, isn't far from here. Yeah. Um, no, not at all. Jonesboro High School. See, what is – see, that's Clayco. That's Clayton County. That is Clayton <laughs> County. Yes. 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 Okay. I only know that because I used to live over on that side, and, and we, were, we lived in Fayetteville, but we actually lived on the Clayton County side of the line. Yeah, I I, uh, I used to work down there in in Clayton County. Did you? That's right. As yeah, a we're gonna officer. get. Yeah, we're gonna get to that in just a moment. So, so when you graduated high school, what made you go into the Marine Corps? So I uh, I went to a private boarding school. Um, oh, from, so there's a break from the, Jonesboro. There there is a there's a prequel to, to oh. Jonesboro. So I I went to a private boarding school from sixth grade to tenth grade. And they just didn't have great, there wasn't a big athletic program. And I had aspirations of playing um, college football. Yeah. So came home from boarding school, went to Jonesboro. And, um, you know, Jonesboro at the time, they, they were, they were a, I don't want to say a powerhouse football team, but put it this way. Having played at a small school and going to a big public school, I was, I was nowhere near as good as I thought I was. So um, Jonesboro High School for a couple of years, then <laughs> Georgia Southern tried to do the old walk-on thing. Yeah, uh, it didn't work out great for me either. Yeah, um, so what? I mean, Georgia Southern didn't get a chance to to really play a lot and stuff there. And oh, I, I didn't make the team. I tried out, and they were oh, like, "Hey, you're just <laughs> you're just not as good as you <laughs> thought you were." What position did you play? Uh, I played outside linebacker. Okay, yeah. Um, you know the the talent. It's it's just ridiculous. Yeah. Um, so I went to Georgia Southern. Um. And like a lot of guys, I didn't, I didn't, my grades weren't, uh, mm. they weren't great. Usually it either happens before or it dives when you get there. You know, a lot, lot of pressure, you're on your own. Yeah. So I made it. A lot of alcohol. A lot of alcohol. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of uh, not doing what I should have done in, right. in any aspect. Uh, but it was a lot of fun. Um, and, you know, I, my, my stepdad, he was a Marine. He, he did mm. a couple tours in Vietnam. I grew up, uh, um, strangely enough, you would never you'd never think this when you meet the man, but he, he's a photographer. And so he had the old, um, you know, the old, uh, what are they called? Where you could put them in a projection, the slides. Yeah, yeah, he had right. all the slides of all his, you know, um, time in Vietnam. And, he, yeah, wow. you know, it was just beautiful country. Um, and there were all a lot of war stuff, right? So I kind of grew up new and, hey, you know, this dude's a, he's an old grumpy old Marine, right? And I mess yeah. up in the house, you, you know, whatever's going to happen. But um, when things didn't work out with college, that was all I really wanted to do. Like I, I just wanted to be a Marine. Yeah. So, um, I didn't tell my parents, I didn't, you know, it wasn't oh. like, Oh no, it was like, I knew the grades were coming out in two weeks. So I'd already <laughs> yeah. send the recruiter. You had and to have a, your I, contingency backup plan. I had, I had the backup plan and, and my best friend, uh, Robert Bouchard, we'd both, um, you know, basically decided that college at this time, at that time wasn't for us. So we both joined the Marine Corps and we knew within like two weeks that, you know, there wasn't going to be a next quarter of Georgia Southern. It was, yeah. we're going to Paris Island. So 
amazing. Yeah. So, what did you end up doing for the Marines? Yeah. Uh, so I, I was an aviation operations specialist. Okay. okay. So basically, uh, we explained it like anything a pilot doesn't want to do that's work other than fly the aircraft, that's what yeah. we did. So um, we sort of, you know, we would... Anywhere from lining up the, the proper aircraft. So if the CO um, or EXO said, hey, listen, these are the missions we're going to fly for the week, we would uh, you know, we'd make sure the aircraft ready to go. We'd get together with the weather guys. We'd make sure that um, pilots were rated for whatever they're going to fly. So basically, we just kind of pulled the whole, the whole mission for the squadron together. Hmm. It's, um, I've told this story before on the, uh, the podcast, uh, but I was going to go into aviation electronics. You know, growing up in Florida around, uh, well, I was around Whiting Field, Milton, Florida, and the Navy, and um, that's where they train the pilots, and, you know, then they end up going over to Pensacola, or they fly, uh, you know, whirly birds, helicopters over on the other side and all that kind of stuff. So my dad was involved with um, seaplanes, you know, when I was growing up as a crew chief, and I thought that's what I want to do. I want to do something like that. You know, aviation's big. And... Um, so when I went down and talked to the Marine Corps, I remember that my mother had told me, you need to go check out all the, all the services. Well, I walked into the Army's recruiting station with my Marine Corps pamphlets, and the guy instantly thought, oh, you want to go combat arms. You know, if you're going to go Marine Corps, you might as well just go combat arms right. in the Army. And by the way, we're offering a $3,000 sign-on bonus. Now, this is a long time ago. It's right. $3,000 a lot of damn money. And uh, But at any rate, with the bonus and stuff, you know, it was like, yeah, man, I'll do it. And I ended up going into armor. But aviation electronics sounded so cool yeah. in the Marine Corps. And was that like the same sphere of aviation operations? Uh, it, it was. Um, so I, I was actually going to be an air traffic controller. Like oh, when I went okay. in and, you know, took the ASVAB and yeah. you, know, you get your list of jobs that you qualify. Like yeah. I, you know, I don't remember how this goes, but there was a GT score cut off and um, they claimed anyway, hey, you got this GT score. You can do all these things. They're like, you should be an air traffic controller. And I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. Yeah. And then as I'm going through it, it's like the school was like in Oklahoma for three and a half years or whatever it was. And I was like, wait a minute. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I don't, I don't want to do that. And it would have basically, so the commitment would have went from, you know, the typical four-year contract to now seven years. Cause oh. you, would, you do your school and then you, you know, you owe years. them four years. Yeah. But yeah. you know, wow. they're the, the, you know, the pitch was, Hey, listen, if you do this, you get out, you can go be a civilian air traffic controller. Oh yeah. You know, you're going to make big money. Yeah. Life's going to be right. great. Whatever. I, I, I couldn't get past the, three-year school like Oklahoma for three years and just die. yeah they're like or this other thing you know aviation operations you know we give you you know 16 weeks down in Meridian Mississippi I was like I'll take that um you know so that included the four-year commitment now see the Marine Corps though you're not you know this is my recruiting side coming out you're not like guaranteed so when you go off to boot camp you could get reclassed right absolutely yeah yeah I so mean it didn't it happen to you it's in the Marine Corps it did not happen to me okay, um, okay. but you know so it, how does that work you like make a wish list or you, I don't you know. I like your first choice. choice. Yeah. So you, you, you sign a contract and basically the deal is, Hey, if you can fulfill the requirements, if you don't rock out of the school or, you know, whatever it is, then you, you will get this MOS. Okay. Um, but I guess if things had have changed, I'm sure there was some caveat somewhere where, you know, yeah. the Marine Corps could do with, with you, whatever you but want. They test you, um, on something, right? Some other thing they do in boot camp that they then use that along with the original ASVAB to make the terminations. If you're going to wash out potentially of the other not, or no, or? no, no, you, okay. it was the regular ASVAB and okay. you know, you go through boot camp and then you okay. get your, you know, your MOS school, which was in Meridian, Mississippi. And so long as you don't fell out of that, then that was, you that's know, you okay. Did. Yeah. But you know, when you're in your MOS school, that's when you get to pick, you know, what your duty location is going to be and that type of thing. So, all right. Um, I, I got my number one duty what location, was it? Uh, Mag 42, uh, right here in Atlanta. No yeah, way. HMLA 773. Yeah, the, the Red Dogs. <laughs> wow. Yeah. 
I didn't, so. Wait, now that that's an Air Force. I know the Air Force base. It's an Air Force base, but there's there's actually a Marine Corps squadron on the base. No wow. lies. Yeah, yeah, it's, thought, a, it's a reserve squadron, but it's it's yeah. there. They still fly the Cobras and the Hueys. Wow. Well, yeah. that's what I see sometimes flying over there. Mm-hmm. Yep. I didn't know anybody was still flying Hueys. Oh yeah, the, that's the, awesome. My understanding is that Huey just got a big upgrade. So, well, yeah, this is really? the Marine, this yeah. is the Marine Corps we're talking yeah. about. They get all the leftovers oh, yeah. and everything. Yeah. So, yeah. the Cobras forever. You kidding me? <laughs> if you're if you're listening and you're on Fort Bragg, do they still haul the artillery around with the, the old Willie's jeeps? Just post on our social media. <laughs> yeah, I saw that when I was up there in 2010 oh, yeah? or 12, and I was like, that's like my grandpa's old Willie's jeep. Yeah, that he had in that's World cool. War II, and they're still hauling howitzers with them. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I mean, it's a reserve unit, but yeah. Well, I I thought that was mainly awesome. like C one thirties up there. Uh, so they have a big like, they have a they bring in C one thirties from around the world. Like yeah. Lockheed's there. They'll yeah. bring they'll bring the C one thirties in for whatever oh, maintenance cool. refurbishing. Oh. Yeah, okay. So there's okay. a lot of cool stuff up there. Um, they also at a, at one point built the F twenty twos, I believe. Oh wow! There, there, yeah. So I had we, no idea. Well, we definitely saw it flying. Um, this was like what, you know, nineteen ninety six. We actually that was the first time I've ever seen an F twenty two and it flew down wow. the thing, it had the wheels down, and one of the pilots like, Oh yeah, they're just they're testing the thing out. And I was like, That is the coolest looking jet I've ever seen in my life, you know. Yeah, yeah that's pretty wild. I had no idea. My thought was it's like a guard or reserve unit type of thing and you know, I, I remember um good friends of ours, a guy I served uh, in the army with, um he retired a number of years after me. His son went to the Air Force Academy to flight school and, and ended up choosing C-130s. And I remember he went through some training or did something up there. I, I remember him flying in up here and then he would come down and see us and visit with us over, you know, a day or two and stuff and then leave. And so that's the, that was my only knowledge of what that is. And I always just assumed it was Reserve Guard C-130. That's it. Never knew anything else beyond that. They had VMFA 142 was there. So they had, uh, again, it was a reserve uh, base for the Marine Corps, but they had F-18s. Um, they still wow. they, they still may have F-18s up there now. Um, but, yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff up there. Huh. And they also had this giant uh, wind tunnel um, that they did all the testing for Lockheed in. So yeah. they would, you know, I saw them put the F-22 in this giant wind, wind tunnel, and um, they would bring in NASCAR, you know, vehicles to test yeah. their you know, whatever they test on those things. It was pretty, yeah. it's, a, it's a pretty cool place. Wow. They got a that's, lot of cool stuff up there. That's a lot more high speed than you'd picture, like just a <laughs> reserve airfield. I, I, I had no yeah. idea. And the fact that it's just north of Atlanta, I oh, had yeah. no idea that the, it had all of that stuff in the history like that. I should know better than that. but yeah. Yeah, And they have, you know, yearly there's a year sh- an air show. So if you ever get a chance, you should definitely check out the air show. I mean, I've seen the Angels the there. Show. Yeah, you do the air show. That'd be great. That'd yeah. be really cool. That'd be awesome. So how long did you end up staying there? Did you end up getting assigned anywhere else? Uh, no, I, I was there the whole time. Get out of wow. here. No, it was, it was great. I mean, I, I traveled often, right? Yeah. You know, so we go to uh, 29 Palms for CACs, and, you know, we do we did a the, – the unit did a lot of cool missions. Like we went down to Trinidad, Tobago, and burned marijuana fields with DEA. I mean, we did – we did some – we had some pretty cool missions, but I pretty much was all there. So I had the best of both worlds. Wow. Did you, but was that cool for you? Because, you know, like for me, the reason why I didn't go into the Air Force or I didn't um, really go into the Marine Corps or Navy or anything like that was because I wanted to get the hell out of Dodge, man. I was down there in the panhandle of Florida. It was nothing but military. And the last thing I wanted was to be assigned there. I wanted to get out of there. So did you ever get this thing of, damn, man, I didn't, you know. Well, that, that was that was the plan. Um, so yeah, for plan, you, you asked for it, but uh, yeah. I mean, well, the the plan was I, you know, I I'd always been an aviation buff, yeah. and you know, joined when I went to the squadron. Um, 
I wanted to be a pilot. I, I wanted to fly Cobras. I thought that was the coolest mission ever. And, you know, the pilots yeah. are all characters. And I was like, you know, I can, I can see myself doing that. Yeah. Um, and, and that was the trajectory I took. Uh, you know, I was able to get my degree while I was still in the Marine Corps. Wow. Um, yeah. So things, I, I wanted to be a pilot. And the funniest thing is uh, the CEO, when I first checked in, his name was uh, Lieutenant Colonel John Crowley. He ended up being a two-star general with the Marine Corps. Um, you know, we were at 29 Palms at one point and, you know, he was so, he was like such a, just a gentleman. He was asking me, Hey, you know, what do you want to do? What are your, what are your plans? And I was like, Hey, you know, I, I think I want to fly Cobras. And he was like, Oh, it's the best thing ever. Yeah. Um, but at the time it was 1994. And so there was all these cuts in the military and he was like, here's the thing you got to know if you want to do this, you're going to be in pools. So basically the flight training could be extended up to, I don't know, like a ridiculous amount of time. I want to say 11 years. And then you would owe your, owe your contract on the backside of that. Right. So you could be in flight training for 11 years in the Marine Corps until you, you know, you get your wings and you're a fully qualified, you know, helicopter pilot. So we were at 29 Palms and I don't know how this happened, but I drew like the short stick or whatever. I'm driving him and a bunch of dudes out to the flight line. Two things happened. Um, I got pulled over by the base, the MPs. We're turning on palms. I'm going like 27 and a yeah. 25, right? Yeah. Dude walks up and he's like, "All right, we're gonna let your chain of command know." And, and my CEO was sitting in the back. He goes, "Hey, consider him chastised. Let's go. We, you know, we got to get to the <laughs> flight line." <laughs> and the next thing was, you know, he he looked over, and I'll never forget it. He was super serious. He goes, "Hey, listen, um, I love the Marine Corps, but if 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 this isn't what you're not positive, you want to spend the rest of your career in the Marine Corps." He's like, "Right now may not be the time." And, you know, I took that to heart. I, I, I opted on that day to, to, to not go forward with being a, a Marine Corps pilot. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, you, you would have ended up down there at Whiting Field, and uh, you'd have gone through fixed wing, and then hopefully you'd have got helicopter. Because, once again, a lot of guys go there thinking they're going to get a helicopter, and they don't. That's right. I, I've, I've got tons of friends who, you know, blow an eardrum out or yeah. whatever the case is. Yeah. They, they just, it never worked out for them. Well, and that's like one of the hardest flight programs to pass anyway. Right. I mean, it's, I believe, the hardest yeah, to it, be a pilot in the Marine Corps. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I don't The numbers don't are that. against you. I the mean, numbers you, are certainly against you. Yeah, yeah, you think about the number of people that are in the Marine Corps versus other branches, mm -hmm. and then you think about the number of people that actually go to flight school, and then, right. I mean, you're... you're they all have to share that one helicopter. Yeah, yeah, the one helicopter, <laughs> and it's got to be working, and... Yeah. Sorry, guys. <laughs> no, no, no it's, it's, it's fair. Yeah, no, but, I mean, it's a cool story. So, at that point, though, did you not even think about going to any type of flight school, even on the outside, maybe getting your civilian pilot license? I, I didn't. I, no, I, I knew. Never pursued it. Never pursued any of it. No, I, I knew right off the rip, hey, if it wasn't going to be um, this, then, you know, I'd always wanted to be a cop. I always wanted to be in law enforcement. So, so you, oh, so you always wanted to do that as well. That wasn't, like, the next thing of, like, well, shit, might as well go ahead and get a job. I remember know? in, like, 10th grade getting a book from the library it was like dea atf and i was reading through like the career thing i was like oh wow people like do this for a living and get paid for it that's that's what i wanted to do and at the time um you know lived in clayton county so atlanta's red dog unit you know to me as a kid that was just the coolest thing ever i don't know if you know what red dog is but it was atlanta's proactive um it, it actually stood for run every drug dealer out of georgia red dog Wow. And these dudes would roll in four deep and they would just bounce out on the corner and it was just the coolest thing ever. I was like, yeah, wow. that, that cool. looks fun to me. Let's yeah. let's do that. So um, I didn't do that, obviously, but uh, the U.S. Border Patrol, like, they, you know, they, they come to the military bases and they have this expedited hiring process. So uh, they were like, hey, well, you know, well, you could be a U.S. Border Patrol if you pass the test. So I went down to Jack, NAS Jacksonville and took the test. And lo and behold, I, I was a, 
I was a U.S. Border Patrol, 1998. Right, right out of the core. Right out. Yeah, right out of college, graduated college, and then you know I did the expedited hiring process, and um, you know I, I still to this day don't know how I passed the test because if you're not a Spanish speaker, you have they have this thing called the alternate Spanish language, so it's like this made uh, alternate up alternate Spanish language. No, alternate alternate language um, language test. So basically, they they give you a, a list of like 12 rules. And they make up these sentences. So if you can apply the rules that they give you, then in theory, you should be able to learn a foreign language. Yeah. I, ha- I have no idea how I passed this thing. There's like me and like wow. 10 other dudes who did. So, uh, yeah, like right after that, we were off to the academy. And how long was that? That was uh, 16 weeks. Wow. I yeah. didn't know that it was that long. Border Patrol Academy in 1998 was, I mean, only slight less, slightly less difficult than Marine Corps boot camp. I mean, it was it was. No a, lie. It was Where a, was it at? Uh, Charleston, South Carolina. Mm. Yeah. We had wow. a lot of fun. I mean, you, you know, you, you only you only worked Monday through Friday, so yeah. we, we had a lot of fun. Oh, Charleston, there, but, yeah, great place to. But it was there, you know, like all the guys in my class basically came out of the military. Like we had guys that were, um, you know, a, a couple former SEAL guys. One was thirty-seven years old. To me, it seemed like wow, this dude is like so old. But that dude ended up breaking all the, uh, you know, the the obstacle course records for Fletzy, which is the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center. Yeah, don't so, pump up the the uh, seals too much. Oh, uh, uh, this dude, I mean Scott Dishman, if you're listening, man, he, he was just <laughs> just amazing. Um, so but yeah, did that for a while. Sixteen weeks of that, mm-hmm. and then where did you end up getting assigned then? Chula Vista, um, San okay. Diego. So yeah, I was, I was in San Diego sector. Uh, the 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 the. the you know, the base was Chula Vista, so we were literally right there on the Tijuana border. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, that wasn't as cool as I thought it was because, again, um, the time, the political, you know, environment, it wasn't like, you know, listening to the older guys who came up in the, you know, 70s and 80s, their idea of what the Border Patrol was and what used to be was clearly not what it, what it, you know, what they wanted it to be anymore. So, basically, they had all the agents sitting on what they called exits. So it was like a deterrent factor. So you would have guys sitting in the Tahoes all along the border just deterring people from coming over. Well, at that age and that time, I, I wanted to be out, you know. Yeah, kicking indoors. Out, or you, doing know, just, you know, yeah. doing the job out, yeah. out in the desert, like tracking, yeah. you know, groups of illegals, that type of thing. That's what I wanted mm-hmm. to do. So it was at one point where we would literally sit around in our cars and watch cops on TV, right? So like, we're watching real cops. <laughs> So. That's hilarious. Yeah, that's how, hilarious. How long did you end up staying with uh, Border? Not long, it, and it was like hey, you know I, I am I was bored to death. I wanted to go work, so I that's when I I left and went back to well came to the police department here in Atlanta. So I went back to the okay. police department where I grew up. Okay, wait. So um, there wasn't another opportunity though within Border Patrol for you to do something different and maybe like get out of that particular role and no and I, i've ran across this a few times in, in my career it's you know everybody wants to get nobody wants to sit on that x and you know just be a deterrent for doing your job people wanted to do the work so you know you were you were stuck sitting in that car for three to five years um, before you could do something like go to an interior station or another station where you could actually do the job um, okay. so again i was three to five years of doing that three to five years sitting in a tahoe just Waiting yeah. on something to happen, you know, having people throw rocks over you from the other side. I mean, you know, it's just what 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 I was looking for. Well, I don't know that as much of what the American people would probably assume that border agents did, <laughs> and let alone maybe even do today. You know, you, well, you right. would think it'd be different, right? Well, and to be fair, in most locations, it is like yeah. the, the southwest border is the most porous 
wild, wild west thing you've ever seen in your life. If you go down there and you actually work it and, you know, God love those border patrol agents who are still down there because they're doing that job daily. And it's, it's not, you know, just uh, illegal families who want to come over and make a better place. Everybody on the border recognizes not to get all political about the border, but that's, that's not what they're doing down there. And yeah. a lot of people, the American people, they would be shocked if they saw what was really happening. We're talking about train loads of, of narcotics of, you know, just yeah. terrible things coming across the border. Um, and, and those frontline guys, the border patrol, especially they're, they're in it every single day. It's shootouts, it's, it's chases, it's, you know, violent criminals coming over to, to do whatever they're going to do here. And that, that's what's really going on down there. Did you see the video of, uh, the mules coming across and, and, uh, people having bottles of water and giving them water as they were coming across, they were thinking that these are people coming over that are going like to seeking you know, asylum, seeking asylum right. and you know so like here hey you know how yeah. you doing he yeah. gets, here's a bottle of water yeah. and some snacks or something like that and these guys have their ruck on i mean they're they're full-on mules going yeah. across oh, yeah and uh yeah I, I didn't get it it was it, like it's, it's crazy was and, there? And it's not like weed it's like these dudes have bricks of heroin on them coming across you know yeah. right were you guys cognizant of like human trafficking back then yes even? very very much so okay so that's yeah yeah. So, but it, it was different, right? I mean, it was no one, as long as I've been doing this, no one ever wanted to, you know, keep a good family away from opportunity. Right. Right. Yeah. But, but the human trafficking has always been like some, you know, unknowing family deep in Mexico will pay a smuggler to get their children across, you know, the border. And right. they often will spend their whole, like every penny they have. And, you know, they've leveraged their whole life to do, to send a child across. Well, the, the, the smugglers are using those kids. I mean, they yeah. oftentimes the kids would never make it to the original destination. And that's that's another thing that the American people just don't see. Hmm. So what what happens to those kids if they don't make it to their original destination? Man, I, I've seen them sold at truck stops. Holy smokes. Like, really? Yeah. I mean, human that that type of human trafficking is a real thing. Yeah. And so we've had guys terrifying. on here that have created nonprofits, former guys, you know, that were in the soft community that they figured, all right, well, I, I still want to take the fight to the enemy. And this is the new enemy is human trafficking is becoming, you know, a multi-billion dollar operation. And so let me go find these guys, hunt them down and turn them over to law enforcement, you yeah. know, so they can, uh, or at least do enough, um, you know, intel to be able to provide that information to the police agencies to say, here, here, here's the packet. All you got to do is go there, yeah. knock on the door, oh, and, yeah. you know, type of thing. Because there's some, some limitations, obviously, that they can't do as private citizens, even if they're owning a nonprofit or whatever. But, um, you know, when I've had those guys on and they've talked about those things, it's, it's pretty frightening. It you know, is. People just don't understand not only that, but how big it's becoming and how it's acceptable it seems to be or people seem to be um turning a blind eye to it it's it's used to be when a kid was missing you automatically assumed it was a parent that you know that was engaged or something or um the kid ran away um or something like that or unfortunately you know they may have gotten abducted and we're probably it's, yeah, gonna but it's like one it's like one crazy person yes it's you know, like yeah. a right. crazy kidnapper Took took a kid. It's yeah. not like an organized. Well, yeah, no, it, it's organized. Yeah, crime. it's it's organized. I mean, there there are certain organizations on the southwest border that you have to, like, if you're going to move anything, people, product, whatever, you have to pay this organization. So it's it's about money, yeah. and unfortunately, uh, you know, you know, human traffic is not what I I work on now, but I I still see it in everyday life. I mean, you can wow. you can recognize 
you know, you can recognize stash houses. I mean, it's still a real thing. And I still have friends that work down on the southwest border, and they, they're, they're doing things daily um, that wow. the American people would be shocked about. Wow. Yeah. <clears throat> well, again, I think it's, you know, whatever gets in the news media that they want to cover. And then, you know, obviously, yeah. again, not getting too political, but right. the whole idea is that um, most people just want to live inside their bubble. Yeah. And, and that's about it. But now when I see uh, a photo, you know, like even in this area, you see a photo of somebody, hey, you know, 14-year-old Sally's gone missing you know, hasn't been seen. Um, she was supposed to be at practice and didn't. Well, there was even a GI, uh, a, a, a female that I think is recently I posted on Instagram where yeah, she's missing. She came, she left training and was supposed to go back home and she never made it back home. So it's like something's not right here. You know, when you see those types of things, there's a number of things that pop in your head and now it's not anything good. And human trafficking for me, at least pops inside my head. Like, yeah. wow, it, you know, it could be real. It could be, you know, like he, he, this guy, you know, he talked about situations where um, it was the boyfriend and, you know, it was months of normalcy. And then all of a sudden, you know, something bad went down. You know, the, he told her that, hey, we got to stop by my friend's house. You know, I, I got to pick something up, you know, let's go on the side. And then yeah. when he leaves and she can't get out the door and that's it, you know, type of thing. And yeah, um, it's crazy stuff. Yeah, definitely. So you came back to Atlanta. You went to the uh, Atlanta PD? No, Clayton County. So you did go back to... So I went home. You right. went home, but mm -hmm. that's when you started in Clayton County. So you left the Corps, go to Border Patrol, then go to Clayton County. That's right. Yeah. Wow, what a shock that must have been. It was the most fun I've ever had. Really? Yeah, I, I love the police department. <laughs> um, the guys that I worked with, uh, most of the guys on my zone were former military guys, right? Yeah. So everybody took care of each other. Um the whole environment of that in that time was a lot different than it is now. I mean, people didn't, you know, they've they've always felt certain way about law enforcement. But you know, myself and other guys, you know, we started you know law enforcement to to make a positive difference. And yeah. A lot of those guys were able to do it in that community, and a lot of those guys that I worked with are now, um, you know, they're one of them is a the chief of police in Clayton County. I still talk to him every now and again. So, okay. Um, yeah, that was that was one of. I really enjoyed that time of my life. Yeah. What did you, did you have to go through their academy or anything? I only had to go through, I, I went through the whole academy, but I didn't have to. Um, okay. I only had to do like Georgia law or one, you know, one course, but they were like, hey, listen, you know, you can go to the whole academy. So I was like, oh, you know, okay, I'll do that. Yeah. No yeah. court, work out. Okay. Sounds good to me. Let's do it. So <laughs> it, was, awesome. know, it was a good time. Yeah. Yeah. So were you just a regular police officer? Did you end up doing anything like SWAT or anything like that? Or I, 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 I didn't. I never did SWAT, yeah. um, but I, I worked in narcotics. Um, you know, and I, I was a street officer, and uh, you know, just answering calls, working on a, on a you know two to ten p.m. shift, evening watch. You know, we, it was just a lot of fun. A lot of guys. Uh, you know, I, I lived in a in a courtesy officer with a with my roommate um, made 32 grand a year i had a truck and a boat and i thought i was like the richest person <laughs> in the world right um so now I just you know i worked uh patrol then went to narcotics and then um september 11 happened yeah and then you know we knew a guy who was one of the original like 24 or 27 air marshals that had been doing the job before the terrorist attacks and he basically came to the police department he's like hey and you guys who have military experience, been policing for three to five years, have a college degree, hey, we're hiring, and we have direct hire authority. So I was wow. like, I'll do it. 
and I ended up getting picked up for the air marshal service. Okay, so now this is probably one of the most secretive things because you're not supposed to know who's a marshal on the aircraft. The whole idea, right, is that you're supposed to be incognito and... That's right. You're supposed to just blend in and be on the airplane. Right, right. None of us blended in <laughs> to be on the airplane. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, I did that for a while. That was a that was a lot of fun. The training was crazy. So what? How many, how many months or whatever do you end up having to go through training on that? So I got hired in early, early 2002. So 9-11 happens. I'm hired right in 2002. And my class, they literally sent us up to... Um, the training base, which is in Atlantic City, New Jersey, and they gave you two weeks, and all you did was shoot. I mean, shoot, 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 shoot for two weeks. Two weeks. Two weeks. They're like, hey, oh. when we can, aff- we can like afford to bring you guys back, we'll put you through additional training. But that's all it was at the time. It was like a two-week, you know, the thought was everybody has been to law enforcement academies. All these guys are right. military. Like, backgrounds are vetted. You know, we had to get our TSSEI. Or we didn't get SEIs at the point. We just got top secrets. But they, um, you know, they bring you through. They put you through the the two week training, and it was like that's when I met all these dudes who who either were or or allegedly, you know, special operation types. And mm-hmm. you know, it was different. Like no more no more rules or uh, you know use of force continuum like you would see in a police department. Right. It was straight rules of engagement. Like if this person does that, this is what you were authorized to do. And it, it blew my mind. Wow. Two weeks of that. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's like a serious crash course, and then having to get right into the fight. You yeah, know, and I'm, yeah, I'm guessing you had pretty sh- strict marksmanship it criteria. Was, yes, like yeah, it was. It was. It was awesome training, and the you know the calls were super, super strict. I mean, it you know you you have a very, very limited mission there. Right. Um, but you know the the training was awesome. It, at least the fire, you know. The, the, the marksmanship training was incredible. Yeah. So no training on like, this is what you want to be looking for, you know, and keeping your head on a swivel and, you know, all, all of that stuff. But it was all based around shooting. It, but and it was also <laughs> all wild. It was super <laughs> wild. I mean, it was also based on the flight deck, right? There's, yeah. there's one way in at the cockpit. And that's yeah. that is what you're looking for. And, uh, you know, what um, it was a surreal time. But yeah. Two, yeah, two weeks training, you know, that you get you get a new new weapon systems and then you're Hey, yeah. you know, here's your here's your flight. Uh, have fun going back and forth to Washington D.C. for the next ten years or whatever wow. it was. Yeah. yeah. So did you did you guys have like a route? Did you guys switch it up or is you would they would say it was threat based matrix. Okay. Um, and you know they hired a lot of guys off the rip, so they would okay. you would never month you would get a flight schedule monthly, and right. it would be like, you know, you would. They would say that the flight matrix was based off of, you know, critical infrastructure. You know, clearly um, there was a lot of Washington, D.C., a lot of New sure, York, of like yeah. all these things that would be, you know, potential targets. Right. So we flew a lot of domestics for the first couple of years. And then, you know, things started to happen. You had the guy who tried to blow himself up with his underwear bomb. And so yeah. then it was like, <laughs> guess what? Everybody's going to Amsterdam. Um, so a lot of that stuff happened. Yeah. Okay. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've always like, especially during that time frame when I was doing flying for business, um, I always, you know, thought, well, you know, on some of these flights, going to DC, going to specific places, I figured more than likely somebody on this aircraft. And so for me, it was one of these things. Sometimes I'd look around and go, "Is it him? Yeah, is it her? Who is who yeah. is it? You know?" 
Oh yeah, I've played that game. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, where's he at? Yeah, I'm like, well, I don't want to look too hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Who's you know, the person watching every either. person getting on this aircraft? You yeah, know? yeah you realize it's you because you're looking for the guy. Yeah, everybody else digging in their stuff and everything, and you got one yeah. person. You know that. Was that? I gotta ask you though, because. Flying is not always the most enjoyable thing. That's got to be kind of miserable. It was miserable. Okay. It I, was miserable, man. I mean, <laughs> it, it was. I was so thankful for the opportunity, and I really wanted to give back, and yeah. I, I believed in it. Like, I you mean, know, it's a cool mission. It was a cool mission. But you're paying for it. Oh, man. Those, those guys now, I mean, they're, they're suffering from health problems. You know, it's all the really? different... Um, you know, time changes. Like if you're, oh yeah. So there's that sleep issues, me yeah. Food, uh, oh, sleep, yeah. and that's causing long-term yeah. health issues. Super long, yeah. Wow. Which was, you know, I was, I was looking for a way out. Um, okay. When when it came time, I, I even, you know, I flew missions for years. Um, you know, I was an international team leader, just like most guys were. Right. Uh, and then, you know, they they offered a, a position at headquarters in D.C. They're like, hey, this, you know, we're opening up a liaison division. Um, and, you know, the air marshals are part of the TSA. And okay. so everybody has to deal with TSA at some point. Like if you want to get even different units, military units, when they need to get equipment through the airport, different right. federal law enforcement organizations, when they need to get equipment through the airport or personnel through the airport. Um, I went up and I basically was the liaison between those guys and TSA. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, um, you know, I was able back to aircraft operations again, but just so every, every, everything was like kind of coming together, right? So yeah. I, I knew cops, and I and I knew, yeah. unfortunately, how some of the bureaucracy went with the airport. So I was able to, um, you know, sort of, sort of build bridges there. Yeah, and I, I got, did that for a while. I got to ask you before we move on: What yeah. was your favorite part of being an air marshal? What was the best part? Well, the, the international travel. Yeah. Yeah, the international okay. travel was great. How know, long did they let you stay once you get there? So not long. I mean, we would we would fly in. Um, I, it's really no secret that we were in, like, Amsterdam mm -hmm. was covered, you know, pretty much for a period. And so yeah. We'd be in Amsterdam for two, three days. Um, nice. So that, that, was, that was a lot of fun. So it wasn't a turn and burn. I mean, where you get there, you know... 24, 36 hours, you're back you're on a bird coming on an back. airplane. No, no, that, that is exactly what it was. But you would oh. get like 36 hours. You would land, you would get to sleep, you okay. would get to go out and have dinner and you know, drinks if you chose. And then it was back to the back oh, to the airport. Oh, geez, that's yeah. like brutal, man. Oh, it was bad. So three, four-day trips, like you, you would leave Atlanta and you know go wherever you went and you'd be back. And you'd do that again in two days. And in the very beginning, they, they really didn't have their act together. Like they, they didn't realize... You know, this guys cannot sustain this type of flight oh, no. pattern. I mean, it's right. you know, you're, it was all there was all kinds of problems. Um, but I think they worked some of those out. Um, but when I had the opportunity to get off the flight schedule and go work, you know, in a in a different unit within the Air Marshal Service, I jumped on that all day long. Yeah. yeah. So, what do you think kind of experience that gave you for maybe later on? Do you feel like go, getting into Air Marshal and especially into the operational component of it, logistics that? It kind of helped you prepare you or something, or was it just like a another chapter in the book? Well, I mean, it, it did. Uh, I learned, you know, I learned. I've always learned something wherever I wherever I've been, and um, I absolutely learned about working with different stakeholders and you know how the the you know the give and the take, and um, yeah, I, I, I without a doubt, it was a very valuable experience. I learned a lot about how the aviation industry works. I learned a lot about um, U.S. infrastructure, so I learned a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and I also met some of the, the, the most interesting um, people and mentors that I've that have basically helped me out since then. You know, I met one of the guys who, you know, he was a giant mentor, um, Patrick Sullivan. He was a Secret Service agent who was a you know special agent in charge of 
I think I want to say the New York office before he came to the Air Marshals after he retired, mm. and he became a deputy assistant director. And he, uh, you know, this guy introduced me to just all kinds of things and people that I would have never otherwise known. So, um, and and I ended up promoting as an Air Marshal. And I, funny story, I told the guy, I was like, hey, you know, I, I ride motorcycles when my passions when I'm not working. And I told him, I was like, hey, listen, I, I'd like to go anywhere that doesn't have a helmet law. And I was thinking, you know, Florida, Tennessee, or Texas, yeah. one of those places. So, you know, put the packet in, I, I score well. And they're like, hey, you know, congrats, you got promoted. And there's no helmet law. It was Minneapolis, Minnesota. <laughs> I'd never oh been to me. I've gosh. flown into Minneapolis, you know, once or twice. But yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Great riding weather. <laughs> Three months a year. Yeah. It was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, That's rough. How long were you in Minneapolis? I was there as a as a air marshal supervisor for like th- two and a half three years, okay. and then I, I just had enough, so yeah. I ended up going to uh, Homeland Security Investigations. Okay, I think I can say that. My God, I don't think that. Yeah, there's nothing that you haven't you haven't done in like law enforcement yeah. in some capacity. It seems like, and so, oh, but let's back up. So up yeah. to this point, what was like you know, looking back on it, uh, what was some of the craziest moments, and where was there a specific thing along this path that was probably crazier than others within the law enforcement community? You know, was it being a police officer, being a border patrol, and crazy could be anything that you think of. You know, there was just so much crazy, like um, the whole you know nine eleven period, being a being a police officer. Yeah, and like the world stopped, right? Rightfully so. Every all, listen, nobody. I mean. It, to say that people weren't going to domestic calls is not true. We were doing that, but not, no traffic, no no enforcement on any other thing. They basically wow. they pulled everything, and they just put police officers around the airport. We that's wow. the whole police department. They canceled off days. Um, you know, <laughs> the most random thing that someone might find suspicious. It was like they were dispatching, like it was a tier one emergency. You know, lights yeah. and sirens. Wow. Hey, there happens to be this person over here, and they're parked near the airport. Well, maybe they had a flat tire, but that's not how it was treated. It was wow. everybody's going. It was a, it was a crazy period. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was the whole thing was crazy and surreal, you know. Yeah. Wow. So how many years total did you end up spending air marshal? It sounds like about five, six, about eight, eight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it was like three first, and then you went to the operational side of it. That's right. Administrative. Well, it was more like five, and then I went to you know. Then I went to uh, about four, four or five. Then I went to headquarters, worked on our liaison division, um, you know, and it was really cool. I worked with all the state patrols, all their executive protection details. Um, you know, as they're moving their governor through the airport, they they were just having all kinds of problems. You know, these screeners that, you know, four weeks ago were, you know, whatever. And now they're telling the governor of whatever state, hey, you can't come through here. So yeah. these troopers are. You know, they're standing on the desk yelling and screaming, and they would say, hey, Don, you know, go down and see if you can work this out. So yeah. I was able to do that, and I was really successful with it. And I, that was that was one of my biggest accomplishments. Like, I really enjoy being able to help those guys do their mission um, and, you know, cut out lots of the red tape. So yeah. I, I guess if I had to look at it, that was probably my favorite memory of the Air Marshal Service. Yeah. Did you ever miss the, the military to this point? You know, especially with 9-11 hitting. I did. I did. I really did. Um I, I had questioned my, you know, whole decision. Hey, you know what? Right now, I'd, you know, I'd probably be flying Cobras if everything worked out. Yeah, yeah. That, it would have been. I, I thought about it continuously, but at that point, you know, there was it was I was too far into it. Yeah. Um, but I absolutely. But interestingly, all the guys that were 
that came through the air marshal service, like a, at a certain point, they they were all operators, right? They're all rangers. They're all so. Yeah. Like, at some point, I was like, "Hey, man, who, who's driving the trucks? Who's cooking?" <laughs> yeah. Every, everybody, you do, right? they're tier one operators. What, what, where is everybody else doing? Am I the only one who is, uh, yep. you know, not a frontline, you know, tip the spear dude? Yeah, so, yeah, that is funny. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, there was a lot of stuff that was going on, uh, going down during that time frame, but stuff really started picking up like 2004, 2005. Yeah, in Afghanistan, I guess. Yeah. I it was going on the whole time for special operations, but yeah, I mean, those guys would have been, yeah. you know, if they were in the air marshal service at that point, right. then they were pre GWAT, whatever. Yeah. Cool guy that they said they were, but that they said they were there. There were yeah. a lot of guys who were cool guy, everything's. And yeah. I, and I was like, come on guys. Not, not everybody. But. Well, I think it's changed now too. You could get away with shit like that back then. There was no social media. Right. And now it's like, you, post a patch that doesn't belong on your shoulder and yeah you can prosecute it for stolen honor you're yeah. gonna get you're gonna get caught yeah you know it's just because we can bet you yeah and we got better network but yeah but we, there, were, there were cool there were legit guys yeah. that were part of the program um and one that that you know you, that we knew then like tommy wilburn um, norm hooten like those guys that you know if you watch black hawk down they, they were they were in the movie i mean yeah. so you knew that they were the real deal um you know so and, and they were a part of what the homeland security yeah or? yeah yeah right so that's where you went to next but no no they were they were actually uh, affiliated with the air marshal air marshal oh, okay yeah. yeah um i think i can yeah i'm pretty sure i can say that because it was all public you know knowledge uh norm was down there um who, who was i met him a few times there were there were a lot of really good and interesting people but they're you know yeah. it also it also brought along people that that weren't really what they claimed yeah, yeah. of course yeah yeah so you went from um being an air marshal to Homeland Security, mm-hmm. that was a relatively wasn't when did Homeland Security like fully stand up? Well, right after nine eleven, right. So it's yeah. relatively new at this stage, right? When you're yeah. coming into it, mm-hmm. brand new. Was it yeah. was it still kind of clunky? Like didn't really know what their roles were. I went through at a time. I had I had FAA credentials. I had TSA credentials. I had um, DHS credentials. I mean, it, it, like they could not get their act together. Mm. Um, wow. So it, there was a lot of growing pains. Yeah. But I, I I feel like now it almost makes sense how they have it organized. Like okay. know, maybe that's one decent thing that came of the whole reshuffle. Because yeah, in the beginning, wasn't a whole lot of, uh, you know, we're not transferring information. Everybody's trying to pee on their territory yes. and yeah. very much siloed. Everybody was one, of course, like. Well, that was the big criticism about 9-11. It's like, yeah. okay, agency A didn't know what agency B was doing. That's right. And that's why yeah. this you know, was able to slip through the cracks and happen. Yeah. I, I don't feel like, I mean, there's still a little bit of that, but I don't think it would, I don't think it's anywhere near on the scale that it used to be. No. Can't be. No, I hope not. Anyway. Well, I hope they that by be. now, I mean, geez, yeah. I hope you've gone through the growing pains and you guys have it figured out, you know, type right. of thing by now. Yeah. But no, yeah. well, I think I like, because I was in Afghanistan from basically 2006 till 2012, and you could see the progression. It's like, okay, now we're going to bring in, you know, this organization into our, you know, Intel circle, or we're going to act on, you know, something that happened in God knows where from some other agency. And you're like, wow, we're really. Like, there's no more, you're just ranger doing ranger mission. Like, it doesn't matter where the intel comes from. It doesn't matter whose, you know, command came up with it or right. what agency. Like, it was, if it was actionable or it was relevant, like, I kind of watched that evolution because from 2006 to 2012, it was a big change. Yeah. I, 
not sure what I'm allowed to say actually about that. But we're talking to each other. That's right. So, well, Homeland Security, I think, you know, when it originally came up, everybody was sort of like, okay, it kind of makes sense and everything. <clears throat> but like with any organization, everybody's trying to find their way and trying to carve out their niche and their money, get their money. Yeah, it's about budget, right? There's only Justify your budget. Right. There's, right. there's a finite amount of dollars. And so because of that, everybody's trying to justify and you start seeing a lot of overlap. And then you start seeing agencies that are not playing nice together any longer. Right. And, the whole bit because of that and you know i would hope that now we've kind of had enough time frame to to get beyond that and and sort that out but um there's new threats now you know that are out there that are hitting us and it may not necessarily be a 9-11 type of attack it could be but now you've got cybersecurity attacks you've got you know um you know the 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 issues or challenges that we're having with the open border and people coming across that there's still the unknowns of what's coming in. We've got Afghanistan drawing down that we're bringing in and trying to vet individuals that have been brought over and, you know, and then there's other stuff. Yeah. So. They're, they're actually, I, I just heard, um, they're, they're actually Afghanis that, that came over that are yeah. on military bases that are basically, they're still being vetted and they're federal law enforcement agencies that are, that's all they're doing right now is, is basically guarding the the military bases where these individuals are are at. I mean, again, not to get political, but I, I didn't know until I get this inner office memo. Hey, you want to come out to this military base? And yeah, no, not not really, <laughs> not really. Thanks for the offer. Yeah, I didn't even know that was going on. Thought that, we had had that thing worked out before this. No, that's been going on for a while. Um, I know we it was Fort Bliss in Texas. There was a a school kind of thing going on, kind of like School of Americas. So we bring the Afghan partner force and they'd be going through the program and they just wander off the base and they're kind of aw shucks that was the on our end of it i'm sure that some other agency that i wasn't privy to as a young ranger was picking up the slack it up yeah you know i was i remember we did an exercise at fort bliss and we had noticed the afghans there we're like oh what are those guys and they're like oh it's like kind of like school of americas we got those guys here we're training them all right, partner force, whatever. Are you familiar with School of Americas? Oh, yeah. Okay. And then, you know, there was an article in, I don't know, Military Times or something, and 13 of them had just decided, yeah, we're going to leave. Yeah. Like, they can't stop them. Like, I don't get to go on pass without right. signing a leave form. Yeah. I'm a fucking American. <laughs> yeah. And this guy, like, you know, we know that there's blue on green in Afghanistan. Like, our Afghan partners, sometimes they get leveraged by the Taliban or they're just a bad person to begin with, and they'll shoot up Americans and, that, that could certainly happen here. Hopefully they don't wander into a Walmart and buy an AR, I guess. Yeah. Hopefully. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> yeah. So that's what they're doing is uh, just guarding the bases. My understanding is, yeah, that they're just literally guarding the bases. I mean, they got a whole uh, operation name for the whole thing, and wow. I don't know if I can talk about that, but yeah, I was, yeah. it's just the whole thing's strange to me. I, I had no idea. So these are Afghans that are coming post Yes. Uh, yeah, that are that are on some military bases, and the, you know, mm-hmm. who who would have known? I, I I didn't know, but I'll tell you this: I'm not going out there and babysitting. Yeah, no. <laughs> Unless uh, someone above me tells me, yeah, yeah, you are. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. All right, so Homeland Security, what did you end up doing there? Uh, I was uh, an investigator signed to the southwest border. I was down in Eagle Pass, Texas. So you got to go right back, but right the southwest, but yeah. not Chula Vista. But yeah, so I was in I was uh, between Del Rio and Laredo, right on the, the border, um, right on the other side of uh, the Mexican city Piedras Negras. 
Okay, so what is what is the Border Patrol and Homeland Security? How do they end up like, or do they <laughs> interact? So, yeah, well, um, they do. the The Border Patrol is basically the the, the front line, right? Mm-hmm. So they're they are guarding against you know illegal uh, goods and commodities, and um, you know people that should not be here that are have entered without uh, you know authorization. I think that's the correct term for it now. Right, you can't say illegal. Um, but uh, Homeland Security investigations, they're the criminal investigators. So if there are crimes that are being committed, like basic, it's mostly narcotic smuggling. Mm, um, okay. That's basically what I did. So we would be, you know, um, there were very few agents uh, in, it was us and DEA that were in Eagle Pass. And it would be basically, hey, you know, Customs has caught this ginormous load of, of dope that's coming in the interior you guys need to come out and do the investigation. So they would recover it, and then we would do the follow-on investigation, whether that meant, um, you know, doing controlled deliveries of that substance to whoever was supposed to get it in the interior or, you know, um, maybe, maybe things got stolen. So we basically, we were the criminal investigators. Mm. Wow. Yeah. So I, I guess I, this begs the question, we have the DEA mm-hmm. and we have DHS. Mm-hmm. It seems like there's some overlap there if, Y'all are doing narcotics as well, right? As well, DEA, but you work hand in hand. They, we, yeah, we worked. So in our building at Eagle Pass, it was just DHS, HSI, Homeland Security Investigations, and DEA. Okay. Um, yeah, and they, DEA had the the narcotic smuggling of it, but if it was coming across the border or or if it was bulk cash, for instance, going back south, okay. then um, HSI would have primary jurisdiction. Okay, HSI has they have enormous. Um, authority yeah they have yeah they absolutely i remember when they formed dhs it's like this is Mm -hmm. kind of a slippery slope because the scope of their authority is so huge it is and it includes immigration you know all old customs laws so basically basically they're customs their customs and immigration kind of melded into one that's what hsi is And, and it's you know, I it's I don't work for them anymore, but um, right. I loved my time and I learned a lot. There are a lot of really really good solid people there, and right. any guys that are that are looking to get out of the military, that are looking in that line of work, they are super um, you know vet friendly. I would awesome. recommend that. So awesome. how, how, why didn't some of these agencies just roll up? It just made I mean, listening to this, it sounds like um, DEA should have rolled maybe to DHS if you're going to make DHS the primary, and they're going to more or less own the umbrella or a larger component. You know what I mean? I'm just, right. I, I don't know. I'm the, I'm the normal Joe looking at this. Well, DEA is a Department of Justice component. So, you know, you have Department of Homeland Security and then you okay. have Department of Justice. All right. Um, so I, I now work for a Department of Justice component, law enforcement component. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, DEA, you know, they, 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 they focus on narcotics um, and money laundering. That's, that's what DEA is doing right now. Um, the, these other agencies are focusing on other types of crimes that are connected to uh, okay. smuggling of any any kinds. But you know, there's frankly, there's just so much work that yeah, everybody yeah. everybody can work drugs as much yeah, as you sure. want to. I, yeah, I don't I don't do that much anymore. But you know, if I wanted to, it would not be hard. You, you can't you can't walk in certain areas of Atlanta without tripping over a kilo of methamphetamine. I mean, it's just yeah. it's there. There's a lot of it. So, I mean, you started off, I mean, you did narcotics, you just said, back in Clayton County. Mm-hmm. 
do you feel like some of the stuff that you did there helped, um, you know, at least it's a different type of level, obviously, but I mean, do you feel like any of that initial training really helped you even later on? Or Everything's helped. Everything, it's been cumulative and it's all helped. Like yeah. I've learned, um, you know, I learned so much being a street officer. I uh, learned how to talk to people, learned, you know, you, you, it's, it's one thing to, you know, go straight into one of the big federal agencies and have zero experience of how to really deal with anyone from, you know, the, the homeless person on the street to some doctor who may be having the worst day of his life, right? So right. you learn how to talk to each and everyone in between. And I found that that, just talking to people, that's, that's what's been the most helpful for me in my career. I just feel comfortable, um, yeah. you know. Yeah. So uh, in the Homeland Security, you're on the narcotic side of it. Um, what, what was, again, like your total mission? What were you kind of focused on? What was your, your main focus? Like, so it if was, you can talk about it. Yeah, yeah, I can't. It was, I mean, there's no, it was drugs and human beings being smuggled. So um, it was okay. human trafficking then, too? Yes. Unfortunately, you know, we would be called out in the middle of the night. Hey, Border Patrol is inter interdicted a load of 100 human beings, and they have two suspected coyotes or smugglers. So, you know, we would wow. we'd drive out in the middle of nowhere, and we, you know, we would help Border Patrol process everybody, and then we would interview the smugglers and try to determine if we could um, identify what organization that they were working with or on, on whose behalf, uh, and then we would take those investigations further. Um, then we would start tracing back to, to other networks, okay. um, and, you know, that, that was... That's what I, we didn't do, I didn't do a lot of that because there was just so much, um, you know, narcotic trafficking. It, it is in bulk trash, bulk cash smuggling. So they would, you know, they would bring heroin and meth in, usually in a liquid form, but they've, they're super creative how they hide it and bring it in. I mean, it's, it's, it would blow your mind if you, you've seen some of the schemes they use to bring this stuff in. It's got to be impressive. It's super impressive. Yeah, like if they would just channel their ingenuity into like something legit, right? They'd yeah, be, right. something legal. Yeah, they would be, they'd be bona fide, <laughs> you know, great business people. Right. right. Anyway, so they would, they would bring it in and, you know, they would go to a major hub like Houston, Dallas, you know, wherever, Austin, um, San Antonio. And up then, through, this is up through Texas. Oh, yeah, right, right across the border. Like, and they, yeah. did this, they did this at every point of entry. Um, so it was okay. drugs and people coming north and bulk cash going south. So we, we did a lot of narcotics. And then, it, it, you know, once you, once you figure out what you're looking for, like I could tell you who's bringing bulk cash back yeah. across the border. So we would, we would do outbound operations where we would target certain individuals um, based on, you know, the, a criteria. And, I mean, <laughs> there he is, like four bags, four giant yeah. double bags. Just, you, you couldn't put more cash in them. So, you know, we would seize that or CBP would actually seize it. And then we would we would start working back on the financial um, aspects. Yeah, chase yeah, the money trail. Came from. Chase the money trail, yeah. Well, like, how, how do you do that in terms of um, cash, if it's cash? Is it harder? I mean, the serial numbers and stuff, but well, I mean, you're, you're they, they laundered it, right? No, yeah. Well, no, 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 no. Oh, it's, it's just unlaundered. It's unlaundered. It's it's in a bag that's going back to Mexico, and they don't care how they get it. <laughs> I mean, it, just bring the cash. I just, I guess, I was just thinking it was a little bit more sophisticated, it's like not, back in the mob days, you know, mm -hmm. where they laundered the money, yeah. nope. you know. So I got to ask you, what do you do? All right, let's say I managed to get a couple pallets of hundred dollar bills in my box truck down to Mexico. What do I do with that then? I use it as currency yeah. amongst. My, my you, other absolutely. cartel members? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, so you use it to finance, um, you know, bigger trafficking schemes. You, you okay. Money money is king. I mean, the U.S. dollar still holds a lot of weight. So I'm not, I'm not having to change that into pesos or Yeah, so, the, yeah, like so that. that's I what just, I was I can curious. Pay a, 
you know, a, a crooked, I don't know, trucking company. I'm using my imagination here because I don't yeah. know anything about this. No. Yeah. To, you know, ship some stuff. And I'm like, hey, just here's some American money. And they're like, okay, that's cool. No, no, not at all. It's not that sophisticated. Um, oh, okay. It is getting more sophisticated with, you know, uh, digital currency. Like okay. now that it's trending like towards Bitcoin, that. Stuff Bitcoin, stuff. Bitcoin, different. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's trending that way. But, you know, when I was down there, no, it was, hey, you know, sell 50 keys of whatever, get this amount of money. And it's, yeah. it's, like legitimately palletized money that right. comes back. Um, and then, you know, you, you, you don't have to pay crooked people. You buy whatever you need. Um, right. You know, if you, if you need new, uh, you know, transportation networks, just buy new tractor trailers. Yeah. They don't sneeze at it, man. Wow. Need, need, Brent, need a truck to, to bring with it? That's dropped cash. Um, so it's, you know, wow. and then we would, we often dealt with human sources. Um, so right. those people are basically the low hanging fruit. So we would, get them to work for us. Um, right. and then they would lead us back to locations on the interior and that's how our investigations typically would go. Wow. Yeah. Is there, um, is there like a, a method of smuggling that you saw that was like particularly creative or stands out in your mind? Like somebody trying to get something in and you're like, man, this I, I saw a train. I saw, I saw a train, like a like box a, car really? that was loaded with high end marijuana, which, you know, nobody cares about weed anymore, right. but a train load of it, Holy smokes. Yeah. I mean, that, that was impressive to me. I wow. was like, they, they just didn't care. Yeah. They just Com, coming north or <laughs> coming, coming north? They put a train load of, of packaged, like bailed out high-end <laughs> marijuana and brought it right across the border. And they, they wouldn't have found it except there were, there were some... Um, Wait, you got to have train tracks and tracks have to come from the south to the north. Absolutely. Are we not like... No. What? Mm-mm. No. No. I mean... <laughs> They probably wouldn't. The, the truth is, only so, they can only screen so much. So yeah, it's cargo. A, it's more of an audit. We'll screen twenty percent or fifteen percent kind of thing. But that's right. Holy well, cow! You got to imagine the cost. There's yeah. just well, there's, sure, there's but no way that you could monitor. But this is the kind of stuff like we, he was saying yeah. that you know American people that they found out about it. Well, you got a damn train that we're only hitting some percentage of time. That's right. And there's a probably a larger percent of uh, percentage of time we're not. Mm -hmm. And there's something coming on that train all the time, going both directions. Yeah, well, yeah. And, and there's so much commerce in between. You know, people uh, assume there's a guy, man, like you know, at the gate. Yes. That, you know, sorry, you know, where's your papers? Yeah, check all it's your. It's not like you getting know. on an airplane where everybody takes off their shoes. Yeah, yeah I exactly. Think I think that's the, the, yeah, the it perception. Would, again, the it, it would blow your mind if you just went down there and spent a little bit of time and saw how, how business is done. I mean, yeah. if you look at the pure volume of freight and cargo coming north and going south, you, you realize there's just no way. So it's a it's a game of odds, right? For for if you were a trafficker down in down south and you want to bring whatever up here, then you know, just so it's, throw everything at it and, and you're you're gonna come out. You're going to come out good. It would be my um, would be my guess. Right. But I literally saw a train of uh, marijuana. Yeah. Like how many cars? It was one giant car. Like I don't know how long the car is, but I'll tell you this. You know, there there were guys in my office that we were we were like, holy shit, who's going to come help us unload this? Right. This is, <laughs> no, forget about who's guilty here. How are we going to get this off this train? This is going to be like an all day thing. That is hilarious. Yeah. Well, that's got to be like a the size of a big C container. Yeah, it, that's know. that's exactly right. So can't they take those things and like put them? Uh, I guess only maybe some of them you can actually put on a truck or on a trailer. Yeah, yeah, that you could. And you know, to be clear, the Customs and Border Protection they have these giant eight. They're like 
massive x-ray machines that they can run the freight through, but they just don't have the, they don't have the time. Mm -hmm. You would never get, you would never get like commerce in the United right. States if you, if you did that at a hundred percent or whatever, whatever their number is. Dude, you, yeah, you, 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 you're talking about like quadrupling or yeah. more the cost of This is blowing my mind though, because getting back to your whole point about what they cause us to do. And I mean, even now I don't want to get too far into the whole political, but right. what they're causing Americans to do yeah. to do some Something that should well, be relatively why, normal. Right? You know why they make you take off your shoes? Well, because the bomber, the, the shoe, shoe bomber. bomber. Yeah, I'll have to tell you that story sometime, Rob. It's funny. It's well, really go ahead, funny. drop. Well, the sorry, this guy. <laughs> so there, I, you probably know this because you know you're an the, air the guy from from Miami. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the guy. The, it was the guy that was like, I think he was mental, he had, mentally challenged. Yeah, in he the had first it in place. the shoe. He had an issue, and he was it using was cannon cannon fuse for laces. Yeah. So smarter people than him set the yeah. set him up. They said, hey, this is what you're going to do, and you're going to light these cannon fuse. Like you get at the hobby store for shoelaces. So you light it on fire with your lighter, and that's going to burn around your foot. It's going to ignite this bomb that's built into the sole of your shoe. Well, this knucklehead decides that he should wear his shoes the day before. I think he was in London. Yeah. It's rainy. So he's walking around. <laughs> stopping so the rain already washed off all yeah. the... Which cannon fuse doesn't burn fast anyway. Yeah. You know, like so, and it's a whole shoelace from the top of his shoes. So like this wasn't a great plan in the first place, but yeah. that's why you take off your shoes at the airport because somebody who is mentally handicapped with wet shoes and a hobby store cannon fuse tried to blow up a plane mm -hmm. in like probably the least effective way possible. Yeah. Yeah. Also, there was a flight attendant on that plane that like tuned him up with her shoe. I think it was his shoe. I think so. I think yeah. he took off his shoe to light the cannon fuse and somebody took it away from him and just <laughs> beat the brakes off that boy. <laughs> I didn't know that. That's that was my favorite gist. part of it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah beat him with his own yeah. shoe. Uh, I, I just remember, I, what year was that? Shoot, I don't know, 2006 or Yeah, okay. Seven. So that, that makes about right. So I was going through an airport. It was Kansas City. And I was... Uh, I was traveling on business out there, staying up a bowel process manufacturing facility out in Lawrence, Kansas. And um, <clears throat> anyway, I'm going to the airport and this TSA agent, you know, was telling me I got to take off my shoes. And I'm like, why? You know, I mean, I, I just shoes. I mean, you yeah. can scan me in that damn scanner and know right. I don't have anything in my damn shoes or whatever. She's like, sir, I'm not going to ask you again. Take care of your shoes. And so I'm one of these guys that I'm like still talking. Dude, they like gave me almost the full strip search after that. You know, yeah. they got so mad yeah. at me. So step over here. I'm like, what? What did I do wrong? Just step over here, sir. Don't be talking. You know, you know, and did the wand, and right. then you know, had me take off some stuff, and then patted me down, and the whole bit, only because I gave them a hard time about the uh, about the know, shoes, about the shoes. Yeah. And yeah. it was right after that. And then it's I was justifiable though. I mean, come on. Yeah, we got the X-rays. Don't make me take off my shoes. I, well, my thing is there's no consistency. I, I've been through airports a million times. Sometimes they yeah. do and sometimes they don't. I mean, yeah. yeah. What's that all about? Well, right? and, and if you go overseas, yeah. other countries aren't doing the no shoes thing. Many of them. <sighs> many, many countries. I mean, most of the time when I travel overseas, <laughs> they don't. I'm like taking off my shoes in the airport and people are like, yeah, don't do that. Well, let yeah. me tell you what not to do when you come back. <laughs> so you ever, you ever heard, there was this thing. It was like, uh, it was a retention system called Thunderwear. It was like, yes. you heard that? Yes, I well, know about Thunderwear. So yeah. I had on a fresh set of Thunderwear coming back <laughs> from summer. Okay, what is Thunderwear first? Really? It is like underwear that has a holster bed built into it. It was like Picture Spanx yeah. with a place for your gun. Oh, sweet. A lot of guys used to wear So I tried the one time I tried, had like metal in it, right? Yeah. So 
I the way it works with air marshal service when you fly into a host country you you don't get to walk around their country with your with your firearm yeah you basically have arrival procedures where you'll take your gear off and you'll put it in a pelican case lock it up put it somewhere with their you know their law enforcement component but what they don't take away from you is your holster or anything else that you know it goes with it, it. yeah that goes with it so you know I'm getting ready we're going it's me and a crew of guys we're going back and um, I, we were somewhere in Germany I wish I could remember where. I can tell you there are about three guys that don't remember exactly where it was at when they hear the story. But uh, so that, you know, I, I go walking through the metal detector and it beeps and, it, and the dude is hitting right off of where the, 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 the metal's at in the, in the thunderwear. They have me stripped naked in this room. No way. Oh, yeah. I was butt naked. I was, it was great. This is awesome. Yeah. And the, the window's up. So my buddies are like knocking on the window. Like, <laughs> That's freaking yeah. awesome. Yeah. It was great. I mean, it wasn't fun when you're going through it. They just, they could not, they, they could not get it. Like, couldn't understand. What do you mean there's metal in your underwear? I was like, yeah, man, it's underwear. That's amazing. Yeah. You know, it's just hilarious, though. Again, your training, who you are, and yet we're questioning you that much. I well, mean, it wasn't our government. I mean, yeah, it was, it was like the Germans. They, they were like, hey, our security procedure is this. We don't care what kind of weird underwear you're wearing, you know? <laughs> yeah. Take it off. It, <laughs> yeah. I thought Germans were kinky. Isn't that a stereotype? <laughs> you're going to get a lot of maybe maybe kinky that's, Germans. Maybe, maybe that's what was going yeah. on. We're yeah. going to get a lot of calls yeah. now. Hey, yeah. Call in. A lot of... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Caller three. Yeah. It's <laughs> so a lot of weird stuff like that. You know? That is hilarious. Well, the whole train thing like it just really blows my mind. Now, we got down a rabbit hole about flights and everything. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, again, what they, they have us do, but yet they're only auditing a smaller percentage of that on a train of what's coming across. Oh, yeah. So what were some of the other things that you saw in terms of, like, is there other major transportation things like that? that no, you, they, they're just really good at hiding things. Like, yeah. Uh, I, I saw half kilos of uh, heroin they had built and, like, put it inside a wooden statues and they would load those up so i yeah. mean you would never know unless that 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 went through an x-ray machine um and then you know you see that it's it's actually half kilos of of something and then yeah you, you know yeah. the cbp guys break that open and it's half keys of of heroin super expensive right but the, it was the product was very very well put together um so it's the the ingenuity is just amazing i've seen I've seen vehicles like hollowed out, like complete yeah. traps that are hydraulic that unless you knew it was there or if they had, you know, some savvy CBP guy that was working the inline and he, he just something was off about the interview. Mm-hmm. He would never think to send you through uh, to have the vehicle, you know, x-rayed. Um, but in those cases, when they found it, man, you look at the x-ray and the whole car's hollowed out and it's it's all like, what is it? What does a kilo of cocaine go for? Thirty five, thirty six thousand dollars if you can get yeah. it to Atlanta. Yeah. So the whole car's filled out with each brick's $36,000. Think about, think about that if, if they get it across. Yeah. Well, and they know they're only going to lose so much percentage. Like oh, yeah. It's a volume business for them. Yeah. That's the way I understand it. Yeah. So they just send it and they get, you know, a certain amount gets seized. Yeah. But it's kind of like if you run a store, a certain amount is going to get shoplifted. That's or, right. You know, like it's just. Yeah. And the, the smuggling schemes are, it's always super, they're, they're super clever. I mean, I, I just wish they would channel it like something legitimate, yeah. you know? So, I mean, we have that issue with, like, the I-75 corridor going up and down Florida. I think it's uh, major, too. It's an opportunity where, or at least it's a, an interstate that I think a lot of law enforcement really try to follow because of coming up from South Florida, coming through Atlanta. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, my, my current job, we, we work a lot of that corridor. Okay. And, um, yeah. I mean, you, you, would, you would be shocked. You would absolutely be shocked. So, th- in that case, it's not a train i mean no in that case it's like a 
a plane or a vehicle or, you know, um, other diversion tactics, you know. It's just crazy. I mean, you would think, you know, with our sophistication that, you know what I mean? It's like you would think that. Right. Yeah. Right. You know, I think in a lot of American people um, probably think that that's what it is. I mean, listening devices and everything else, you would in the way we we track down high value targets across other borders and the means in which we used it. Most people think that those same tools are used here in a way in which are we we should be able to live pretty much criminal safe. You know, we shouldn't have these issues. Right. Well, I, think, I think what we take for granted is that the criminals are just as innovative. They and get a vote. Just, just as like the enemy. Yeah. And they're, yeah. It's not like they're stupid. No. They're making they're, poor choices. They're making, yeah, they're, they're, they're making poor choices. But they're not. Well, when you say they, the people who are making the decisions and stuff are not the ones doing this. It's, it's the hired hands. That's right. So that's collateral damage. You know, if they get caught or they whatever. They could care less. Yeah. They could care less. And, and so I, w- I would imagine there's probably even decoy opportunities. Let me go ahead and send something out. This one may get um, hit, but if it goes through, then great. You know, right. it, it's good. Oh, that happens all the time. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I've, I've, I've seen that when I was out on the border. I mean, they would send over, you know, they would, they would cross guys, clearly diverting attention from the, the Border Patrol agents that were mm-hmm. on the boats right there on the Rio Grande. They would they would come across with you know two bags of, or whatever that, just enough to elicit a response right. and then while everybody's you know busy doing this they're crossing the tractor trailers and you know yeah. all the other stuff right here um, yeah they, they do that they there is so much that comes across that border it's a it is just amazing what what is the when you think of the border especially you know with Mexico and everything where do you think is probably the hottest spot you know that's along through that border. Or are there, is it pretty much? It's pretty, honestly, it's pretty much wide open the whole way. Like yeah. if, if there's not a, um, if there's not a fence or a wall in that section of the border. A lot of people don't know that that doesn't exist, right? There, There is an assumption, I think, by people that there is at least a wall or a fence of some capacity. But you get out, you get out beyond the points of entry, right? You get up beyond several miles beyond that. There's nothing there. There is that you would be lucky to find a barbed wire fence on the border, like right along on, on our side of the Rio Grande, most okay. places, unless a farmer who, or a landowner puts it up, there's, there's not going to be a, a barbed wire fence. That's what I was going to say is I, there yeah. are some cases where like that's a rancher's property and it's oh, yeah. like, it's his fence for his pastures. Could you imagine how, owning that? Time. Yeah. Could you imagine owning that property and, and you know, this is happening on your land. You can't sell it. Who the hell's going to want to buy it? You know, cause they're, they're going to own that. Well, Problem. Th- there are a lot of um, like high-end big game ranches down there. Like you, you wouldn't you wouldn't expect it, but a yeah. lot of lot and th- those are the fences you see. So, um, and that was interesting as well. Uh, seeing the border patrol guys, like the old guys, that have been out on the border for twenty plus years. They know everybody and they know every piece of that land. They they don't call it by each other's ranch. They're like you know have nicknames for every piece of like landmark. So these yeah. guys will go out there and you know they're known. They they'll have keys to the ranchers property and the rancher knows it so let's yeah. go out pop the lock on the key lock it back up and do whatever they got to do wow it's a it's a different thing down there well i know That's in wild. texas that there was an organization that was like that and there were a lot of ranchers and big game and, and stuff like that and you're absolutely right they much of what you're talking about there was like two or three fences but i don't think we were close to the border i don't know i'd have to go back and look at it but um when you bring that up it just kind of makes me think okay that makes sense i mean it's kind of unusable land otherwise maybe right. uh, who the hell wants to build a house on it that's 
you're going to be living when all the time you got all these. Yeah. Did you know? Did you experience any uh, vigilantes down there when you were? As well, I know, it happens. Is it, yeah, I mean, I you would. There were like known known guys, but no one really took them serious. You know, they were yeah. sort of harmless. I mean, they would be the guys that would go out and, you know, maybe they would find four or five, you know, uh, illegals who were, you know, needed food or shelter or whatever, and then right. he, they would call. Hey, and the, you know, people would be like, "Hey, so and so is calling, diming these kids out again. Let's go down there." Yeah. And you know, it, it was there, but it wasn't. I never saw anything crazy like I've seen on yeah. documentaries. Okay. No. I feel I feel I've always felt like that was kind of blown out of proportion, but Pro- I feel I like know. it probably was. I mean, I watched documentaries as well, and you know, you see all this nonsense going on, but I never dealt with anybody like that. Yeah. Do you think that um, are there certain areas within America that is probably being targeted more than others? I mean, I, I would imagine that we're talking about in terms of narcotics, maybe more um, impoverished, or, you know, or lower uh, areas, or well, then again, it's the Atlanta have is money a have. giant hub for for illegal. Like you, you wouldn't believe the amount of dope that comes up here. Like so much that, I mean, it's it's actually hard to fathom. So I think Atlanta is a. I mean, I know Atlanta is a giant hub for all same for human trafficking as well. And Absolutely, yeah. If I mean, it's the the further you can get product from you know down south to the interior, the more valuable it is. So yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. This is it's. I wouldn't say ground zero, but pretty close to it. Damn. Wow. Mm-hmm. You know, I knew it was big, or I knew it not big. I knew it was here. Yeah. I didn't know how big. That's, you just sized it for me yeah. in a very scary way because, you know, yeah. you think more like ah, Miami or, you know, San Diego or, you know, places that maybe not this far interior. Well, they, they're all big areas for it, but the end destination is, you know, get it to a, a hub like Atlanta so you can – you can push it north, New York City, and New York City is another um, destination or port city. But yeah, a ton of it just comes in here in Atlanta, and then it gets farmed out. It goes to warehouses or whatever stash location, and then it gets farmed out. Wow. Atlanta is yeah, it's there's there's a lot here, and a lot of it comes directly from the border. Wow, so it's straight shot. Straight shot, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yep. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, man, there's <laughs> that. I'm just right. trying to imagine being that guy <laughs> yeah. driving the truck, man. That yeah. just seems like a stressful commute. <laughs> Sometimes those guys don't even know what they have, you know? They they're they're just told, "Hey, that's interesting." Yeah, get this load from A to B. Yeah. We'll pay you well for it. So yeah. he has an idea of who he's working for, but Right. But know. but this is okay, so in the case of transportation, are these potentially immigrants that are that are transporting or are we talking about they're also buying Americans that are I I've know? seen it both. I've seen both. I mean, you know, you you never know. There's no like I guess that that's kind of what these organizations are good at. They they pick people that you know look like you or I. That you yeah. never you would never know. Um, and oftentimes they don't even know exactly what what they're what they have or what they're doing. Yeah. Again, they just know, hey, you know, I'm going to get paid well for whatever I'm yeah. doing here. And the less I know, the better, right? Yeah. The sure. Bitcoin stuff is uh, rather interesting because I mean, once you start getting an electronic currency that has no um, exchange, uh, you know, now it's going to become a little bit harder in the ways through security or cyber yeah. world and stuff of how you can move that money around, you know, money. Yeah. Have you seen the uh, Bitcoin um, ATMs? Have you seen one of those yet? No. Oh. Yeah. They're, they have Bitcoin ATMs. Like you can go there's on the North end of Atlanta. I've seen like three or four in the last wow. couple of months. Yeah. It's Bitcoin ATMs. I don't even know how that would work. 
Holy smokes. Yeah. But apparently pretty good if you want to move money undetected. Yeah. Wow. It seems like it. Pretty crazy stuff, man. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, like, after Homeland Security, how long did you end up staying with that? I was only there a few years, and then uh, I, I was able to... I'm from Atlanta, so I wanted yeah. to get back to Atlanta. Sometimes I wonder why, but, I mean, I know why. <laughs> um, uh, I, I, I came... Uh, I got hired with my current agency, and, yeah. and I've always wanted to work... Uh, it's a DOJ component. Yeah. Um, you know, I've been... I've so been this there. has kind of been the... Where you wanted to go all along, or at least... Always, you. always wanted to be where I wanted... You know, yeah. all the, where I wanted to end up. I would have loved to have been here before all the other stuff, but, you know, they just... Wow, but you've had such a tremendous career up to this point in terms of... Yeah. Like we were talking about, every little thing led you to the next, and that whole history mm-hmm. has allowed you to be really good at what you, you do. You yeah, know, I and, hope so. Yeah, yeah. Um, I and and I, I enjoy it. Uh, you know, I, w- I wish that this agent was, agency was hiring years before. It's just they've not been really good about that traditionally. Yeah. Um, now you know we're in a we're in a cycle where we're hiring lots of guys, and I wish they would let me you know talk about who it is that I work for. Um, yeah. I guess I can say they they specialize in violent crime. Yeah. Um, okay. But yeah, it's it's uh it's the best career ever. I mean, I can't say enough good about the organization. Yeah. What's it? I guess if you can, what's your favorite thing about the job that you get to do? Well, I mean, is it because I, you're stopping violent crime? It's it's because the mission is violent crime. Okay. I mean, you're only going after the true worst of the worst. Like people that I believe there's just no, you know, they need to be in prison because so they're going to victimize other people. Like that I enjoy that. That's always what it's been about for me. Um, okay. So, so you're you're like fighting evil kind of like truly, truly bad people. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. So, like, did you hear this um, five convicts or whatever that? Yeah, they they, they got loose somehow. Or, it, how, how does that happen? I, I have no idea. I can't. I can only imagine. I guess they okay. some guards got complacent or something is what I read, and they shoved them in a in the cell and took their keys and they're off into wow. Kia, or you know. That's okay, that's what I read. You know. Well, see, you know. We were talking about it last night because, you know, it just came out and everything. And we're like, okay, if it was me, you know, I'm thinking more sophisticated. I'd probably get the hell out of Dodge, out of the state, go, you know, somewhere in the mountains or, you know, get out. You know, they're not that sophisticated, you know. (laughs) So, I mean, the guys you're talking about that you're hunting down, a lot more sophisticated. uh, Oftentimes, but, uh, you know, other times not. They're just really violent offenders, right? They're just okay. They're just people that they don't. I mean, they're they're violent human beings. They don't think twice. They would shoot you, uh, or kill you, or do anything to you and your family for for next to no reason. They're just oh. violent human beings, and there there are few of them out there. But those are the people that I think are really worth going. More after. lone wolves than than um, you know, like what we were just talking about earlier in terms of you know more crime like organizations. Crime. Yeah, is it is it or is it a pocket of both? Sometimes it's a lone wolf, and sometimes it's you know, you could you could be up against anything. It could be it could be anything. Like yeah. In, in my in the group that I'm assigned to now, we we do more organizational stuff. Yeah. Um, so you know you're you're fighting the the battle of trying to figure out okay who within that organization would make a difference. Yeah. You know, if they were off the street, so we okay. we concentrate on that. But there are other guys uh, with my organization that they literally just go out. The, the, the community will come to them and say, or their, you know, leadership and say, hey. These are the problems in our community. We need help with this, and they will. They have the resources, and they'll take the time to figure out. Okay, how did how do you deal with this problem? 
Wow. Okay. And it's a very unique subset and you know, they're, they're very good at it. And that's, I think that's what I have. That's what I like the most. Yeah. Well, that's definitely different from where you were in a way, I guess, because I mean, are you still playing around in narcotics or is it you're out of that? Now? <laughs> no, everybody plays around with it. A yeah. Little bit. yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it, it all go. It's all part and parcel. Yeah. So yes, we do. Um, but you know, when you're, you, you don't really have to, um, at the very entry of most cases that I work, there is a narcotics ankle, but it's not, hey, we're, we're ordering 50 keys off a guy or anything huge like that. It's it's yeah. a smaller, even with most most of my colleagues here in Atlanta, it's you start smaller, user type stuff, just, just to kind of get your foot in the door, and then, then you go after who is really the problem in the community. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's a unique thing. Um, I, I can't, it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. No, no. A lot, I mean, a lot of satisfaction in it. I can tell you that. Yeah. yeah. No, that, that would be very satisfying. And so, like, uh, when you think, too, of, like, America's top wanted and stuff, is that kind of what we're talking about in a scale? Yeah. Uh, okay, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. That's yeah. that's really cool. That yeah. does sound fun. It, it is. It, it's, that it's, sounds like Yeah. I mean, I can't say enough good about it. I, again, I mean, there are a lot of guys listening to this show that come from, like we were talking about, special operations community that would love an opportunity to now – do something like this. And, and we would love to have them. We yeah. would love to. So, you know, if, if you're listening and you're interested, go to the Department of Justice website, uh, go to USA jo- uh, Gov Jobs. Yeah. And uh, look around who's hiring right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Put in for that. Yeah. Yeah. We, we you know, we'd, we'd love to have them. Yeah. That's very cool. Awesome. Man. Yeah. Um, so how many years now have you spent total police? Started, we were talking 96, or was it? 98. 98. Yeah, yeah, 98 to now. What is that, 23? 23, yeah. Almost 24 years. Yep. I, I'm eligible to retire in three years. I, I, I was going to ask, that yeah. was my next question. Yeah, I'm eligible in three years. Wow. Yeah. But you, you think you're going to do that? or No, I'll, I'll stay. Putting I'll you stay. on the spot, you're you know now getting hurt. Your command is probably going to hear that Yeah. three years. Yeah, he's out of here three years. Oh, yeah, no, they, they know. <laughs> I mean, I had some guy in our neighborhood. He was like, hey, I work for Chick-fil-A. Would you be interested? And I was like... Not right now. I mean, yeah. it sounds great. But, yeah. Do you get free chicken? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty wild. Go from... Would they let me buy guns and machine guns in the parking lot? <laughs> yeah. If not, I don't, I don't think I'd be interested right now. Yeah. Have you seen those memes where it's the um, one of the cartoon characters or whatever, and um, I forget what it is, but something about basically having a vest and weapons in your trunk. Um, oh, yeah. What is that? What's the, the Kyle Rittenhouse case? Yeah. And they're, the prosecutor. Yeah, said who drives around. What normal person drives around with a AR and armor in their vehicle. And you see and this little character sort of like. Yeah, kind of like. Kind of like. I'm like, well. <laughs> what's going on with that? I, I, I've not watched any of it. I, I would be interested to see what's going on there. It's actually a phenomenal trial. I think it's it's fascinating to watch and it's it seems like a really important case to me. I've been kind of tracking it through some of the YouTube channels of lawyers that can explain it to me because right. I'm not that bright. But unfortunately, there's a lot of theater involved too. Um, it, just my perspective, you know, I'm a lay person. The prosecution seems to be pretty out there um, trying to create a spectacle. And there's speculation that they're, that they're backstopping failure with the possibility of a mistrial. Mm. Um, I know that the judge a couple of days ago admonished the prosecutor pretty aggressively in open court. And it was like, I can't believe you're doing this. Yeah. This is basic law stuff, which was 
you know, so I, I don't, I don't really, it's enjoyable to watch, but I don't really appreciate that because it's such an important case. You wish yeah. they would play it straight. Yeah. Um, but it seems like I, you know, it seems like he acted, you know, completely in yeah. the realm of self-defense. And I know that the, the, the guy who survived the shooting, he had his bicep blown out. You know, he basically said, yeah, this, this kid didn't shoot at me or aggress me until I pointed my pistol at him. Yeah, you can't, can't do that. You can't point a weapon at somebody. That's right. And you didn't know. didn't they have like uh, FBI or some kind of drone. agency drones that FBI were FBI drone? I mean, how footage. how did, how did you get like drones? You know what I mean? Like, I guess it was well, an intense period, them. but I mean, yeah. but it's very interesting that you know. But that's not supposed to be legal, right? right. That's not supposed to be. There, there's some case law that I'm aware of, like uh, you know. I would I would say they're probably good there, okay. from what I understand, if it's over a public place. But where you, where it gets iffy is if you're using that drone to fly over someone's house where you wouldn't have reasonable expectation okay. of privacy. So if there's a riot going on, something like yeah, that. Yeah, I, th I think you'd be good there. Okay. I think so. I mean, yeah. there's probably some lawyers like, oh, absolutely, you can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, not that I have access to a drone, but sure. I yeah. would do it. I mean, yeah. it, sound, yeah. it makes sense to me. You yeah, know, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. I mean, I remember talking with some, some of my buddies when the Chaz thing was going on. It's like, a drone and a sniper team, and this is over in a night. Yeah. Like, what, what are we doing here? Oh, yeah. You know? Well, and I mean, in some cases, or in, in maybe even in this case, a drone might be helpful, much like in police case, you know, you have the camera. I mean, it's no longer he said, she said anymore. Mm -hmm. There it is. It's on my camera. You That's know? right. And you go watch the video. The videos should be the evidence. Oh, yeah. yeah. Weren't they arguing about... <laughs> about what the technology is. Like if you pinch and, you know, expand the, the photograph, they're like, well, how do you know it's not uh, altered? Like there's not extra pixels that magically fall in and make it look like something else. Yeah. Someone told me about that. But what a joke. Yeah. I think there's, there's the level of sophistication of technology now is so far beyond the layperson that it's hard to understand what, where the lines are. Yeah, you know, it is. And, it's, and you, want, you want law enforcement to do their job, right? And you right. want all these investigative agencies to do their job and be as effective as possible. But there is a balance to be struck. And I think like you, you've certainly experienced this where you feel like your hands are tied because you've got to follow certain rules oh, or yeah. protocols or oh, whatever. Yeah. And you're like, I could get this guy right now, oh, yeah. but I have to follow the rules. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's sort of where... It's always been that way, though, yeah. law enforcement. I just think we're a little bit more aware of it because everybody's got a drone and a camera and a camera phone and oh, that's, cameras on yeah. your car and cameras in your parking lots. Well, but the problem is doorbells. with those is they use sound bites of that and go yeah. to case around an image of a, a, a millisecond right. at right. what angle. Well, you yeah, know? That's the other thing. If you can manipulate something into just one little yeah. uh, you know, one-minute segment, then it looks may look bad when in reality it's... Not that bad. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I'll, I'll be interested and see what happens. Yeah, I will too. Yeah, I think the rest of America is as well. Yeah. Um, no, no matter what side you're on, definitely yeah. people are paying attention to this case because it could have major ramifications, you know, down the line. But we'll, we'll see how this Yeah, all, it's an important case. It is. Yeah. Um, I would hate, I would hate it's to see important to get it right. It's you important know? to get it right. And I'd hate to see a mistrial. Like, let's let's do it right. We can do this right the first time. Yeah, you know, and like whether this kid needs to be in jail or whether he needs to be exonerated, like let's get it over with, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, everybody's gonna comment on it, and no one's gonna have any firsthand experience. Yeah, I, I don't like you. I hope they get it right. Yeah.
that's that's the big thing you know and i mean if, if you follow what the law is written to and i mean you can then argue whether the law and there are many laws that are this way is the right law you know whether it should be reevaluated because hey we got it wrong you know because if with anything when you speak of the government and laws and they're trying to use their best you know way of writing it but sometimes the language of which uh, of that could be manipulated and their loopholes found and all those types of things, but at the end of the day, it's meant to protect. Right. It's meant to be a, a way in which we can govern, you know, and and I think when people can uh, um, sometimes, you know, there's been cases where individuals have been prosecuted, and it was probably a law that we should change, Yeah. you know, and there has been changed, and so, but that's, that's kind of it. We're supposed to test them and yeah. push them and see what they're supposed to do, and not modify them to our our best interest if we can. Yeah. You know, same thing with the Constitution. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you on that one. Yeah. I agree. I think we're... Yeah. Well, Don, I appreciate you coming in, man, sharing your story and yeah, especially... Yeah, thanks for you having know, me. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah talking about... I mean, you had, like, uh, a pretty amazing background in all the different things that you did. Well, and, I say uh, whenever I get uh, fat, I just go to another academy. <laughs> <laughs> That's when I know it's time to get a new job. I love it. Yeah. All right, Don, appreciate it, man. Well, thank you guys. Yeah, thank I had a good you. time.